This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. Last time we chatted, Denis, you were telling me about all-cause mortality across the Northern Hemisphere. Now, you're going to be chatting to me about the Southern Hemisphere. Yes. Our recent paper just came out uh, less than a week ago, uh, is a study of 17 countries in the Southern Hemisphere and the Equatorial region. Uh, so it covers about 10% of the world population and about 10% of all of COVID-19 vaccination injections that have been made as well. So it covers a fair bit of the world and what was happening in the world across four continents. And we wrote a 180-page paper about it. That includes the appendices and all of that. Um, and it's been getting some play in the sense that people are very interested in it. And yours is the first... Uh, major interview that I'm doing uh, since it came out. Everyone else has been slower than you, so here we are. Um, well, well, I'm interested because your paper includes South Africa. Yeah, that's right. South Africa is, um, I have to say, the equatorial Africa um, does not have data. You can't mm. know how many people are born or died or, or anything. The only, the only good data they have is how many vaccines they sold to the various countries and these, uh, you know, these UN or World Health Organization vaccination campaigns. They keep good records of how many people they go into the villages and inject and so on. But uh, uh, hard data that, nor that countries normally have is just completely absent in equatorial Africa. So South Africa has, has very good data and also a few of the northern african countries uh have pretty good data as well but um the, these are exceptional countries in africa on on the continent yeah we're using all-cause mortality this is you know i've written more than 30 large reports uh in relation to covid uh, and a lot of them about are about mortality and we we look at all-cause mortality which is just simply counting deaths on a territory or in a country or in a province or state or whatever, counting deaths as they occur on a day-to-day -day basis. So as a function of time, you could you could tabulate deaths by week, for example. And it's it's all death. You just count the deaths. You don't you don't care. You're blind to what they died from. So you're it's irrespective of the cause. And for that reason, it tends to be hard data. It's very good data because deaths are easy to count. There's all kinds of official mechanisms whereby deaths must be registered uh, legally and so on. And countries are very good at counting how many people die, how many of their citizens die, even non-citizens. Um, so deaths get counted and tabulated on a regular basis. And we know the age of the person that died and we know exactly when they died, well, you know, within a day. And uh, we know the sex and sometimes we know more about that and we know where they died as well. So it's very good data. It's hard data. You cannot play or you cannot manipulate, easily manipulate this data. You can stop recording the data, and that has happened at various times when there's <clears throat> a meltdown, a war, or something like that. You know, there's a, a lapse in data sometimes. Um, but generally, it's, it's the best data you can get to try to understand what people are dying from in the society. Uh, not, I mean, are there any, not what they're dying from, but are there any major events occurring in time that give you a sudden rise in deaths or 
even a moderate rise, but compared to the historic trend. So you, you can quantify that very accurately. And so it's great data and that's what we do. And so we go country to country and within large countries, we can do subdivisions. We can get right down to the county level sometimes. And this way, when someone, some, some authority says there's a pandemic and everyone's dying, you can go and actually see if it's, if it's actually occurring. So when they first announced the pandemic, the first thing I thought was, well, are people actually dying? Is anyone, you know, can, is it, is it measurable? Is it visible? I don't see anyone in my neighborhood out in the street dead, lying there waiting to be picked up. Are there more deaths? That's the first question I asked myself. And I went straight to the data banks and we wrote a paper back then in, in early 2020, where we said, look, there are excess peaks in certain hotspots that are very unusual that are occurring synchronously around the world as soon as you announce the pandemic. So that suggests that it's either due to the response to the pandemic. It can't be a virus because a virus does not spread instantaneously and cause deaths in hotspots on, you know, seven different continents or whatever uh, at, at the same time that are synchronous. It's impossible from epidemiological theory it, that is impossible. And so we concluded right away that these hot spots that were occurring in Northern Italy, uh, New York, Madrid, and so on, Stockholm, uh, were due to the measures, the medical and government response in, in, in immediate um, synchronicity with the announcement. So medical, med the medical establishment and people in hospitals, they, you know, they geared up for this wave of deaths and sick people running into the hospital. And they, they, they started getting really excited and they over-treated. And uh, the, the treatments, we can follow the prescriptions and so on. The treatments were extremely aggressive and entirely experimental because they were told this is an, a completely new virus and we don't know what to do with it. So do your best. And they were experimenting. So at the very, in the very first few months of the pandemic, there were these hotspots where hospitals, big hospitals and big centers were doing this kind of thing. And there were, there's huge numbers of deaths. It spiked and it, but it only lasted a month or two. And then it came back down. And so in everything that we've done over the many years, and we've looked at many, many jurisdictions, we've always found that the deaths were clearly associated with the responses of the medical establishment and of governments that were going in and shutting down institutions where fragile people were, you know, barely holding on, had caregivers that they had daily contacts with and so on. They basically put, they, they put them into a psychological prison, complete isolation. And we're talking, you know, there are 13 million <clears throat> um, um, disabled people who are disabled because of a serious mental illness in the United States. They have to have contact with society, with caregivers and so on. If you remove that and you put on masks and gloves and you don't allow them to go to the washroom except at a particular time in a particular place and in complete isolation all the time, uh, that is such a dramatic change in one's life. The, the, the physiological stress of that can kill you right away. It will completely crush your immune system and you will die of something. So we were seeing these kinds of phenomena and we could tell it was this kind of phenomenon because state to state in the United States, for example, it was only the poor who died. So there is a, an extraordinary correlation between the, 
the uh, percentage of the population that's living in poverty in a given state and whether or not there was excess mortality. In fact, it's proportionality. It's, it's directly proportional. The, the, the trend line goes through the origin. So there is a strong, strong association with who these people are. And these poor people in the southern states of the U.S. are also the people that normally get prescribed antibiotics much more than the regular population, than the average population, like a factor of two or three times more uh, antibiotic prescriptions. And at the same time, during the COVID period, the establishment cut antibiotic prescriptions by 50%. At the same time, where they were applying all these stresses that depress your immune system and where you had uh, a real potential for pulmonary infections, uh, they were not using antibiotics anymore. And, and we see on the death certificates in the United States that about half or more than half of the death certificates have as a co-condition bacterial pneumonia. So there was some, there was some serious lack of treatment uh, combined with aggravate things that would aggravate your 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 bad health uh, in the sense that psychological stress is known to be a real killer. It's it's a major thing that determines the individual health of an of a of a social of an individual in a social animal kind of community. Uh, that and the social isolation they're major killers, and this is something that has been researched a lot and that scientists know, but it's not generally known and they don't tell you about it very much. Um, so, so we had, up until they started vaccinating, we had already determined that there were many countries that didn't have any excess mortality that weren't using these aggressive methods. Many, like 30, 30 of the states in the US, more than 30 of them, didn't have that peak initially of mortality that was so prominent in New York. So it was very uh, heterogeneous, and that was also a clear sign that it, that it was not a spreading virus, that it was really- There was no pandemic. What were governments, yeah, what were governments doing? We did a study, for example, uh, with, some, with a co-author, uh, where we showed that in the US, uh, neighboring states, if you locked down one and you didn't the other, uh, the mortality, the excess mortality was always greater in the lockdown state, even though they were very similar states and shared a border. So we found 12 pairs like that, and it was conclusive. But so, so I became convinced that, the, I, well, I, I could never see any evidence of spread. I saw counter evidence. A virus does not refuse to cross a border, for example. Okay, The border between the US and Canada in terms of mortality was never crossed. So the, the virus was carrying a passport and just didn't have the visa to go into Canada or something. You know, uh, It was that kind of craziness. In Europe, when you look at a map of Europe, you see the same thing. You see mortality in different countries, but it, it didn't cross from France into Germany in the initial months. Yeah. Okay, it yeah, and, it was, from, and it was racist. Yeah. It skipped Africa. Yeah, yeah, it completely skipped Africa. Now, a big part of that is, though, to be fair, is a lack of data. Uh, Africa is just an, a huge unknown in, mm. in most of Africa in terms of uh, accessing valid data. Okay, so they were asked to report how many people did you vaccinate, and, and the UN is keeping track of that. But when it comes to estimating, uh, um, even never mind deaths, even populations are hard to estimate. So you have a real problem there with Africa. Um, and uh, of course, it's, well, okay, let's not get into why that is, <laughs> but uh, the, 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 it's huge, right? And you would know. So now, 
then, but, you know, when I was doing all this work, we were thinking about all-cause mortality and doing all these analyses, as I said, many, many papers. Um, I, I was also looking at the VARS data, so the adverse effect reporting data, okay, these systems that, and when you look at that, there are not many deaths being reported compared to the excesses in all-cause mortality that we typically see. So I thought, we'll never see the signal from, if, if vaccines are causing death, we'll never see the signal. That's what I thought to myself, having studied the VARS data, okay? So I did not expect going into this that there would be uh, measurable all-cause mortality, excess all-cause mortality that you can see being turned on as you roll out the vaccines. That was my bias when I started doing this. And, um, but I kept seeing uh, evidence of peaks and surges in all-cause mortality that would coincide with uh, the rollout of the vaccine. So this was counterintuitive for me. And the thing that really put me over the top is at one point I saw some reports about India and there were four scientific articles that were published at about the same time that showed uh, um, all-cause mortality in India as a function of time through the many months of the pandemic. And what, what the, all, all four authors showed the same thing, the same data, because in India, you have to go and get it by different means. They're not giving you good weekly or monthly data. So you have to really get in there and have contacts with the communities and with the governments, the provincial governments and so on. And so, but there were these four groups that had done it and they all saw the same thing. Absolutely no excess mortality in India for more than a year of pandemic. And then when they rolled out the vaccine, it shot up. There was a huge surge in mortality. And it, it was like a, a maximum of mortality that I had never seen before. And it corresponded to 3.7 million extra deaths that, that occurred immediately following and accompanying the rollout of the vaccine in India. So it's absolutely shocking. And I've... I, I was convinced it couldn't be due to anything else. It, it couldn't be a coincidence. And the fact that there, nothing had happened until then and that it was there was such synchronicity. So I wrote a paper just about that and explained it in detail. And from that point on, I thought, this is real. This could very well be happening. And so we started looking at other jurisdictions. And so when you start this kind of research, you behave a bit like Newton did when he was doing physics. Uh, Newton would say that all I did was walk along the beach and when I saw a pretty pebble, I would pick it up and examine it, you know. In other words, you, you do the easy things first and you, you look for good examples in nature or in data where you can start to understand the phenomenon, right? And so that's what we did. We, looked, we started looking at a, a whole bunch of uh, data uh, and we saw that Australia had very good data and it was stunning because Australia had, again, absolutely no excess mortality until they rolled out the vaccine. And then it comes up and it stays up. You have a regime of very high mortality in Australia after for, for more than a year as you roll out the vaccine. And then in addition to that, when they rolled out uh, a particular booster at a, during their summer where normally you have a trough in mortality, never a peak, you had a peak associated with the booster rollout in Australia. This was stunning. And it was like they were perfectly synchronous. The, the, it was just unbelievable. So we wrote a paper just about Australia. 
And we found that in Australia, five of the eight states had exactly the same phenomenon. And the others, you couldn't see it because the data wasn't good enough, right? Um, but the ones where you had good data, you could see this phenomenon. They rolled out the booster and you had this peak right in the summer. There'd never been a peak in the summer, in their summer in Australia, in known history of all-cause mortality measurements, okay? So there you had it. So we thought, okay, let, let's find more examples. The next example we found was Israel. The beauty about Israel and Australia is they both have extraordinary data. It's discriminated by age and you have the vaccination data and um, you even have the vaccination data by age group. So you can see what ages were vaccinated when. And so combining Australia and Israel together, we were able to uh, conclude what the risk of dying from being vaccinated was as a function of your age. And we were the first to do this. In fact, we were the first to calculate, as far as I know, what the risk from dying is by injection, per injection, all ages or by age, okay? So we started calculating these things. And what we found was that the risk of dying on being injected directly caused by the injection uh, went up exponentially with your age. It's very stunning. And the doubling time was about five years in both Israel and Australia. And as we were quantifying, so that's when you could resolve by age. When you couldn't, you had to do all ages together. And so we started quantifying this risk of dying per injection, all ages together. And in every country that we found, we always found the same number. It was about 0.05 or 0.1% risk, meaning that, you know, one in a hundred or one in 200, every one, one in a hundred injections, the person would die. All ages combined, right? So we started doing this um, and kept finding the same numbers and kept finding peaks when you rolled out things and kept finding that when you did roll out the vaccines, even initially, you had a surge in mortality everywhere we looked. So we thought, okay, we've, we've got to start writing papers about this. We've got to, I mean, it's a lot of data and we have to work very hard, but let's do it. And so this is the first uh, large paper that includes many countries. The comparable studies that we did in the past uh, that were comparable in magnitude was, for example, if we studied all 50 states in the US. I mean, they're almost the size of countries they are. And so we, we could get 50 states and we could look at correlations and differences between states and we could do all these things. Well, now we decided to do the same thing, but on the whole world, country by country. So that's what we're doing now. And so our first, um, um, if you like, our first release of a bunch of countries that we've analyzed is this one about um, the Southern Hemisphere and equatorial regions. As I said, 17 countries. So we, we have to have countries where you've got the data. You've got to have good data. So it has to be all-cause mortality data, but it has to be more than just by year. That's not enough to look at the changes and to infer what's happening. You need at least by month resolution. And often we had by uh, week and in some cases by day. So we're able with these countries to really get in there and try to understand what's going on. And what we found was that the boosters were rolled out around the world at about the same time. The whole world was synchronous in the sense that the, the vaccines were rolled out at about the same time, then, then the second dose uh, sometime after that, and then the third dose, the fourth dose. They're, they're, almost, they're almost all in sync around the world. It's quite remarkable. 
But the, the thing about doing it in sync around the world is, except in places like India, India had a late start because it had a, a difficult time uh, getting access to the vaccines it wanted. So India started three months late and only then did excess mortality shoot up, you see, only then, three months later than everyone else. So anyway, so um, so where was I? So yeah, so the, the thing about synchronously doing it around the world like that is that in the Northern hemisphere, when you roll out the boosters, you're in the Northern hemisphere's winter. So you're at a time where there's a maximum mortality anyway. So someone can say, oh, that's just the winter maximum you know, that we've known for a hundred years that the winters have higher mortality. But if you're rolling out the booster at the same time in the Southern hemisphere, when it's winter in the winter hemisphere, it's reversed, as you know, uh, it, it, you're now in the summer. Well, all cause mortality has a seasonal pattern and we've known this for a hundred years. So it's, it's higher, it's high in the winter and it's low in the summer. There's a trough in the summer. Well, here we are rolling out boosters in the Southern hemisphere summer and generating these sharp peaks in excess in mortality, all-cause mortality, which we'd never seen before. Well, we saw those peaks in 15 countries that coincided with rolling out the third and fourth boosters. So in, in, a, in a country where we had really good data, like, like uh, Chile and Peru, you saw a first peak for the third dose, the first booster, and then another peak for the other booster. And this was true of every single age group age group by age group, the 90 plus year olds, the 85 to 89 year olds and so on. You could see it all the time. So um, there is no way that this could be a coincidence. You know, that the, the probability that this is happening by coincidence on four continents across those, those uh, 15 countries where you have those peaks is pretty slim. And the other thing that was happening in all 17 countries is um, as soon as you, even the very first rollout of the vaccine, the first and second doses, that always gave uh, rise to a surge in excess mortality that would then typically stay high for a while. So um, we have some beautiful graphs where we show that in all 17 countries. Um, it's quite remarkable to, to see how flat the, the excess mortality is. Uh, and then in some of the countries, you have these anomalous peaks during the COVID period, but that are all over the place, depending on what individual countries were doing. But then as soon as everyone at the, pretty much at the same time rolled out the vaccines, everyone has a surge in all-cause mortality at that time. So there's some quite stunning graphs to that effect in our paper. A figure two in particular, I would recommend people looking at to get a view of the 17 countries and how things are varying as a function of time there, where we show um, the the all-cause mortality varying, but also uh, the, the the injections per week. We have a, a, the data of that on the same graph. You can see this, this uh, correlation. But the correlations are masked a bit when you're not discriminating by age. And the reason for that is that um, different ages were vaccinated at different times. They tended to vaccinate the more elderly first and so on. So when you look at um, the rollouts of vaccine by week for all ages, you get these broadish kind of humps and things, okay? But if you do it by age group, they're very sharp rollout peaks. And immediately following a very sharp rollout peak of a booster, you have a, a, a very sharp, uh, in terms of all-cause mortality, very sharp uh, peak in all-cause mortality. So there is no way, Jeremy, that 
all of this could be coincidence and that it's just, oh, the virus just, just happened to have uh, this variant that was extremely deadly that happened exactly at the same time that you were rolling out all the boosters to all the different age groups in all these countries. It's just crazy. So there, there, we argue in the paper, we, we look at all the alternative explanations and we give reasons why the alternatives are just unbelievable. They would, they would have to correspond. They, either you can prove that the, these things don't occur that they're proposing, or they would be incredible coincidences. And, and when you do verify them, they're not occurring. So we do that in detail in the paper, and we argue in the paper uh, formally that there is a causal relationship between, that we've demonstrated the high likelihood of a causal relationship. Uh, and we use the, the, uh, the scientific test for that in the paper. So that's our paper. Uh, it's a, it's a, a detailed uh, look at where we're at when we write the paper, our past studies, and these 17 countries now, the new analysis, and what it means. And so the, the take-home message for governments, if you could get them to behave, is uh, you cannot prioritize the elderly for vaccination mm. because the risk of harm to them is much greater. You know, it can be a couple of orders of magnitude greater than for younger people and young adults. You, it, it, you have not even admitted that this is the case. You have not characterized it. None of the trials have looked at this. And we're telling you that it's a very real phenomenon and that, and that um, the risk of dying from the injection is exponential with age. Therefore, you must immediately pause this crazy policy of prioritizing the elderly for vaccination and examine what we've done and look at the kind of data that you would need to examine in order to determine whether or not this is true. Mm. I mean, we're convinced that we've demonstrated it, but governments have a responsibility to know if it's true, and they would need to do um, uh, in-depth clinical studies and so on. But in the, until they've done that, and they haven't, which is in itself is criminally negligent, I would say, that they didn't do this, uh, and they've applied this policy which is which is a horrendous policy um until they do it they must pause uh the policy they, they've got to stop vaccinating right away um that's 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 the main message that we're trying to send to politicians yeah. denis tell me a bit about south africa yes south africa um i was just looking at the data because uh, i knew you'd ask me that um south africa is one of these places that has a couple of very large peaks before you even start vaccinating. And this means that there has to have been some aggressive behavior going on by the state and by the medical establishment that would have caused these large peaks in mortality. So one is soon after the pandemic was announced, there was a very, very large and sharp peak there in, in, in South Africa. And that is analogous to what was happening in New York, Madrid, and so on. And so it must be this kind of uh, um, very harsh medical assault that, that would have been in play there. And then following that, there's another very large peak of mortality. Um, and I'm looking at the data here. This is what the report looks like uh, when you print it out. But I'm looking at the data for South Africa here. 
and there's the next surge in in all-cause mortality occurs right at the beginning when you're just starting to vaccinate um so at the beginning of 2021 you have this large peak and then when the vaccine really gets rolled out is the the rollout is accelerated then you have a, a separate then it comes back down from this surge i was t telling you about then it surges up again as you really accelerate the rollout and then it stays high and then you have this peak right in the middle of summer which means uh uh you know january 2022 january february that kind of uh which is in the middle of the of, of the summer for you uh is when you get this uh peak occurring because of the booster rollout so the 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 all-cause mortality for south africa is dramatically high in the covid period and is directly associated with the vaccination and there is clear evidence also of horrendous state assault against people including the medical establishment and so all of that is happening in south africa whereas before that you see a very regular seasonal pattern you know? my apologies for interrupting but no, no. I, I, i'm, I'm going to ask you the question that will invariably uh, come my way and that is yes but how do you know that that wasn't actually COVID? causing those spikes right well um again i have to repeat kind of what i said in the introduction you know if if this were a viral respiratory uh, disease pandemic then it would have to follow um if, if you're proposing that then you're also proposing that it behaves like one which means that there's a theory of how it spreads and it spreads by contact and we have we know how to mathematically model the spread because we, we we know how long the contact takes we know how long it takes to become infected we know how long you remain infectious and we model all that in and you can see what happens uh if you believe that epidemiological theory so if that's your theory then let's see if it happens well that theory says that it's impossible for a virus to stop at borders it's impossible for a virus to create a hot spot of mortality in a large hospital and never spread to any other place just a hot spot and dies out and that's it you know um and and, to, and that these hot spots would synchronously occur around the world but only in those hot spots that's impossible because the theory tells you that the time between when you see the new infection and when you get a surge in mortality that time is extremely dependent on the details of the society that you're talking about you know what what the culture is like how people are contacting each other what the measures are like and so on what what the social habits are it's extremely sensitive to that to the point that it will be different from society to society by months or even years so you cannot have synchronicity uh, the only way to have the synchronicity where the world health organization says okay now we have a pandemic and there are these hotspots coming up, flaring up at exactly the same time, as soon as they say that, is for the medical establishment to respond aggressively and to start killing people who come in because they're worried and because they heard on TV that they're, they're, they're breathing, which normally they would, you know, might stay at home and recover. They, they run to the hospital and they get put on all kinds of medication or they get worse because of the stress and then they're treated accordingly and so on. So... <clears throat> Okay, so we review this in our papers, you know, 
how is it, how can you prove it's not uh, a viral respiratory disease uh, uh, a pandemic? It, it doesn't cross borders. It only mm. kills the poor. Okay. It only occurs in certain places, not others, but synchronously in those places, except in other maxima where you have special cases where you know something happened. Okay. So for example, and so, whereas, you know, this is happening in the, in the pre-vaccination period where you have huge differences from state to state in the U.S. or from country to country because the countries are doing different things. But as soon as everyone starts vaccinating at the same time, then all the behaviors become uniform of the mortality, I mean. So there's all, all the countries who have a rollout of the vaccines also have a comparable increase in mortality at that time that maintains high. All the countries that roll out a, 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 a third dose or fourth dose, these booster doses, have an associated peak in their elderly populations. It's correlated to that rollout. So mm. the behavior is chaotic before you vaccinate because the deaths are caused by these responses that are very different from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. And then the death patterns, if you like, the mortality becomes very uniform and regular after you start vaccinating because it's the vaccines then that are, that are doing the killing mostly, mostly. So um, those are the kinds of arguments I would bring to the table when, when people propose that. Um, now, in your paper, you present a metric called the VDFR. Yeah. The vaccine dose fatality rate. So that is the risk of dying from an injection, by injection, the risk by injection that you will die, that your death will be premature because of that injection. We're all going to die. But if the death is made premature directly because of the injection, then you would say that there is a causal relationship that, that, that you've caused the death. Okay. Um, that's the other, the other, uh, criticism that people make is that, oh, but there are comorbidities. You're not mentioning comorbidities. Um, it doesn't matter if, if you see in the signal that deaths are occurring that would not otherwise occur from the historic pattern or from the recent pattern in time, then you've accelerated the deaths of these people and you can quantify how many people are involved and therefore you have caused those deaths irrespective of what their health conditions were before you injected them. In other words, just because the person was sick when you injected them doesn't mean that you can't cause their death by injecting something right. inside them. So, so, so the, 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 the correlations that we see and the arguments for causality that we make are completely uh, unperturbed by this idea that there are comorbidities. Of course, there are comorbidities. Mm. I mean, being old increases your risk of dying in the next uh, unit of time. Or being you know, very like young. Or yes, very young, childhood deaths and so on. Yeah, that's right. So, so there are always um, conditions that um, that should be factored in if you're calculating the probability of dying from something. But the pattern that we see is so regular. I got to say, Jeremy, you know, um, what we in one section of the paper we compare the vaccine effect as we can characterize it by these epidemiological measurements to the studies that have been done about toxic substances and overdoses. So sometimes, you know, there'll be poisoning in an environment 
and people will study, well, how, who died and how many people died and what was the risk of dying from being exposed to this thing or from an overdose of a certain amount or things like that. Well, I got to tell you, what we're seeing is exactly analogous to that literature. What we're, because that literature shows that the older you are, for a given dose of a toxic substance, the more likely you are of dying. And um, we're seeing all those regular patterns. So when you, when you uh, give different people the same amount of a toxic substance, some people will die almost immediately. Some mm -hmm. people will take some time to die and some people will recover and not die at all. There, you, you will not see any kind of a decrease in their, in their um, uh, um, uh, um, um, what do you call it? The, the life expectancy will not be decreased for those individuals. So the, the ability to resist a toxic substance is highly dependent on the individual and on their health conditions and on presumably their genetics and so on, right? So um, that's what we're seeing with these vaccines. Some people can be injected five, six, seven, eight, nine times, and they, and they say that they're in perfect health and they're fine, and they, they probably are. Some people after the first dose will, will not be able to shovel snow because they feel their heart is gonna burst out of their, out of their chest, you know? Um, the, the responses are really, really different from individual to individual, but the <clears throat> um, dependence of that risk on age, however, is extremely regular. Mm. Doubling time every four or five years. So what we found was with 90 plus year olds, in both countries where we had really good time data and really good vaccination data, which were Chile and Peru, in both those countries, dose four, the fourth, the second booster, dose four, produced a chance of dying of one person dying for every 20 injections. Sure. One out of 20, 5% chance of dying per injection. If you're 90 plus how how do people not see this well if you're 90 plus and uh you're dealing with a medical staff that doesn't want to admit that vaccines cause death and that they themselves cause this death by injecting the person uh it's easy to say well he was 90 years old he was 93 yeah. years old he had these conditions he was on these medications um it's an accident okay and you say but wait wait it's been three hours since you injected them and they're dead and they were perfectly fine uh, four hours ago. Like, come on. Well, listen, he's 93 years old. You know, it's, it's easy for the medical establishment to completely disregard that it's even a possibility that you could die from the, from the injection. And more people die if they're older, but they also have, um, there's more um, pretext you can give to explain their deaths as well when they're older. So people with comorbidities are more likely to die, but you can say, well, they had comorbidities. Older people are more likely to die. You can say they were older and so on. So as a result, the medical establishment is not recognizing the lethality of these vaccines. We, we showed in our paper that if you try to, if you, if you follow the establishment literature and you try to estimate what is the lethality of these vaccines, well, first of all, they'll tell you VARS is, is, is not causal. It's just, it's just coincidence. In other words, it's, 
it's correlation it's not cause okay and so they they don't even want to admit that the deaths that are reported in vars are real okay but if you do accept um, you know, how many people get autopsies after vaccination who died and where the autopsy found that it was really due to the vaccine or probably due to the vaccine, okay? How many, how many of the um, uh, pharma trials, what, how many deaths did they see, even though they, they avoided old people, they avoided comorbidities, they avo but, you know, if you, if you take that kind of data and try to estimate, okay, what's the risk of dying from the injection? Typically, they get one in a million, whereas we're getting 0.1%. So we're like three orders of magnitude higher than what they would estimate. Three orders of magnitude, a thousand times more. It's a thousand times more lethal than they're telling you, basically, that they're willing to admit. The, the medical establishment is, is willing to admit a lethality rate that is a thousand times too small compared to reality. You have to register that, okay? A thousand. So here we are in a, in a society where they're injecting this toxic substance, this poison basically, and doing this experiment on the entire population. And they're typically killing a lot of elderly people. You know, the, the sure, and they're maiming the young people as well, and the heart conditions, myocarditis and so on, those things are very spectacular because you have athletes dying on on the on the field and everything right but when you look at how many deaths there actually are of athletes dying from a heart attack that could be due to vaccination it's a very small number in all-cause mortality terms right it's hundreds maybe thousands of individuals around the world you would never see that in all-cause mortality okay um so but but that's also part of the harm but what we're seeing was we're directly measuring deaths induced by the fact that you injected the person that are significant enough in number that you can actually see the signal and quantify it and calculate the risk. And we're saying it's a thousand times greater than you believe. And we're, we're sure of it. So please, you know, we've got to stop these people who are bought out who have been trained not to see this, who will do anything they can to not admit it and say, well, listen, there's some real hard data here until we've resolved this, this uh, conflict of interpretation, we're gonna stop the vaccines. Well, that's obviously because of climate change. <laughs> that people are dying? Yes. That, that's the alternative explanation, yes. Yes, well, we're, that's where we're headed. That's the level of thought of the establishment is that, um, you know, uh, the, the, the deaths from famine can be blamed on, on climate change, not on the fact that you demolished the economy of that nation and so on. Right. And, and not, and so on and so on. Right. Um, yeah, that's where we're at. When you and I last spoke, I can't remember exactly what the overall uh, body count was, but I think your paper now says around 17 million. Yes. So if you take um, our numbers for 10% of the world population, so these 17 countries, and since they're on four continents, you say, well, listen, we think this is representative of what's happening in the world. 
and therefore we have an all ages risk of dying per injection of this much. I forget what it is exactly. It's 0.129%, uh, something like that. And if you apply that to the number of injections that have been that have been delivered, that have been administered into people's arms around the world, you get 17 plus or minus 0.5 million deaths that would have occurred up till now, up to the present. So that's the best estimate with an error bar on it that, that has been obtained up till now, I believe. And since it represents a broad range of the world, uh, I think it's representative of what actually happened. Um, so we're looking at 17 million people. In other words, we're looking at more than 0.2% of the world population. Of the world population, their deaths were accelerated by these injections over the last less than three years, 0.2%. It's massive. It's massive. Um, and hidden and not talked about and covered up and covered up. It has to be covered up. It's huge, right? It, this has to be, I mean, we have to call it a cover up for this many, uh, MDs and medical establishment professionals to not see the magnitude of this harm and including death of elderly people that they're directly observing in, 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 in built facilities and so on, to not see this occurring, I think we have to call it a cover-up. You mentioned 17 million deaths. You haven't even mentioned harm. That's right. That's right. So this is deaths that would not have occurred if you hadn't injected these people. Okay? The deaths that you can temporally associate directly with rollouts of vaccines uh, that's 17 million deaths. The harm has to be gigantic in terms of number of people that are harmed. And it's not hard to believe that. I think of my immediate neighbors and I know of people who have developed heart conditions and, you know, just are not, their lives have been changed by this. Um, uh, if you look at my circle of contacts, uh, it's significant, you know. And this is, this is a, you, one can do this uh, quantitatively and scientifically. There was a researcher, a, a Canadian researcher who uh, used U.S. data and showed that there had to be more than 300,000 or close to 300,000 deaths in the U.S. Just from uh, a scientific survey of the population, do you know anyone close, relationally close to you that you believe has died from the, from being, from the vaccine and so on? and analyzing that correctly and coming up with that number, which is precisely the same number that we get if we use our calculated risk and the number of injections given in the U.S. So, I mean, there's, there's a, at least two scientific groups are coming up with the same number for the U.S. Um, that's just deaths, as you say. The harm has to be gigantic. Yeah. And, you know, there is talk now of turbo cancer yes and that cancer deaths are being accelerated among people who have been vaccinated and i you know i'm the same way as i was initially when people were telling me that maybe we can we'll be able to see the deaths from the vaccine i thought it would be too small i kind of have that bias with regards to turbo cancer i just have that bias you know like cancer is just such a flimsy thing and you you can decide you know 
um, there's just there's there's a, a diagnosis that's involved, and therefore there's bias that's involved, and there's an industry that wants to treat cancer, and so there are yes. all these built-in huge biases. And I thought, ah, this is dangerous. This is going to be difficult. And now I'm considering that now we have data. We're looking at data now where we'll be able to quantify this if it's occurring, and we've got access more and more to databases where you've got fairly reliable diagnoses across large populations, or at least they're, they're, they're doing the same kind of thing uh, since before the pandemic and into the pandemic. So we will be able to compare. And the other thing too, is that there's a group out there, I forget their name, but they're looking at insurance uh, company data and they're looking at claims related to cancer, people wanting to be treated for cancer. And those claims have risen dramatically uh, since the vaccines have been rolled out. So I'm starting to soften my bias, my negative bias, and I'm saying, okay, I'm going to look for it in the all-cause mortality. I'm going to figure out a way to look for it, uh, and we'll see if we can see something. It's harder, though. You see, the beauty of the, the data that we've been analyzing is the booster rollouts were extremely rapid for a given age group it's like a delta peak it's like really sharp and the all-cause mortality peak for that age group is also very sharp and it's immediately follows so you you have no problem quantifying those deaths and associating them with that with that rollout you see and then you get you get the same ratio of deaths per injection and that nice regular thing exponential behavior all the time so mm. that's easy to believe but if you're talking about deaths that spread out over months or maybe even a year or more, that's going to be very difficult to see. We're going to have to wait a while and uh, analyze the data by all kinds of filters and all kinds of ways to try and figure out if, if they've generally caused more mortality that might be associated with this uh, horrendous rollout of the vaccine. Denis, do you think that this is the deadliest vaccine rollout in history? No, I don't. I, I personally do not. Um, I think the vaccines have, well, historically, if you, if, you, if you read about this, there have been some really nasty so-called vaccines in, in history to, to the point of, uh, you know, um, having uh, riots in the streets and things like that, you know, when the government tried to force them on people and their children. So there have been horrendous things historically, and I'm convinced, I, I, I personally believe that the uh, influenza vaccines that are given to elderly people are probably as dangerous uh, for those elderly people. In fact, we're seeing peaks that um, might coincide with the upsurge in influenza vaccinations that have been occurring, which started just before the first rollouts of the COVID-19 vaccine. So in countries that had a, a surge where they said, well, we've got to protect people from the flu, especially now that there's COVID, and they surged and pushed and sold, the pharma sold all these flu vaccines, some of which were made with the same technology. We can see um, shoulders and increases in all-cause mortality associated with that. We're not, we haven't analyzed it enough. I can't, I can't, I'm not going to, say that it's causally related right now, but there's some indication that these darn flu vaccines 
for the elderly can be very nasty. So I'm not prepared to say that it's more deadly than other vaccines. Um, um, you know, it, it's hard because even, even VARs, you know, there's so many problems trying to understand the reliability of that data. Pe people would say, well, there's, there's way more adverse events now with the COVID than there has been in the past with other vaccines. Well, yeah, but there's been the huge propaganda around the dangers of these vaccines and around the fact that we're allowing them to be rolled out even though they're not approved yet because we're going to be monitoring them very carefully. So the, the, the legal and propaganda contacts before COVID and, and into COVID is very, very different. So I'm not sure we can compare the VARS data before COVID with the VARS data post-COVID, you know, or, or into COVID. Um, there's a lot of problems like that. So it's hard. I wouldn't, I, as a scientist, I wouldn't say these vaccines are definitely more deadly than other vaccines. I don't know. You'd have to look at it case by case. I mean, when you see how well they hide the lethality of this, of these vaccines, they have to be doing the same thing. And it's easier to hide with the flu vaccines because you're only doing it to the elderly. So it's much easier to hide. You know, when you have athletes dropping on the field and on, on TV and in front of thousands of people, um, word gets around much more than if you're uh, basically um, causing elderly people to have early deaths uh, in, in care homes, you know. But Denis, can you blame me, for example, now suddenly becoming completely anti-vaccine? Like I no longer trust any vaccine at all. Well, I, you know, I would celebrate that position. I, I feel the same way. Mm. Um, I, when you see how bought out the establishment was for COVID and its mm. vaccine and how easy it was to get all the uh, professional medical care workers and everybody to be dancing about them and to be and to be celebrating them and to be pushing them and to agree with coercing people to take them when you see that to which degree that can happen um, uh, and you study the history of how childhood vaccinations were approved I mean uh, Aaron uh, the lawyer in the US who does a lot of work on this uh, I forget his name now, but he, he gave a presentation to a group of scientists that I saw that was quite remarkable, where he showed that the, the safety trials done by industry for the childhood vaccines are far, far less uh, in quality and quantity and, and, and potential for actually determining whether or not they're safe than the COVID vaccines were. Because they imposed more on the COVID vaccines because they didn't have, they, they were urgently approving them on an urgency basis, whereas the other vaccines, they would take years to develop them, roll them out. But in the end, when you look at the actual safety trials that industry is legally forced to report and you study them, um, they're worse than COVID. So these, you know, how many instant infant deaths and infant injuries are due to vaccines? It's probably very high, much higher than the establishment is willing to admit. In, in, my, in my experience with COVID now, I would say that, you know. So I wouldn't trust, wh why would we trust pharmaceutical companies 
who are trying to make money, who work with the state to develop products that are safe for our bodies and for our children, and that you'll directly inject into their bodies. Why would we trust anyone to do that? You know, what, what's the evidence that we even need it? The evidence that you need vaccines. What, what is the scientific evidence that we need vaccines? I would argue there is none. Okay, there, there is none. People don't die from, from, you know, deadly pathogens. This is in this world, you know, that, that is a fiction that is, there's an industry promoting that fiction and uh, I don't see it. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I was thinking about the fact, how is it that babies have survived all the way up until a hundred years ago when suddenly now they need all these injections? Yes. Yes. And what, why is it that infant mortality was reduced, reduced, reduced as uh, health conditions and living conditions improved, improved, and now is going back down in the United States? Would it have something to do with the, I don't know how many dozens and dozens of uh, obligatory childhood vaccines that they have to have, you know, I forget what the list is now, but it's something like 50. Uh, it's, it, you know, might it have something to do with that? Well, there are some serious scientific articles that suggest exactly that, that show that in countries that don't have such an extensive list of childhood vaccines and don't, it's not a practice to the same degree as in the United States, infant mortality com in comparable countries with comparable levels of health and so on is much lower. There are scientific papers to that effect. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, uh, and of course, anyone who writes such a scientific paper, there's going to be huge uh, pharma industry pressure for the journal to retract it, to say that it was mis badly done and so on and so on. Nonetheless, these papers get published every once in a while. There are papers out there that, that, that say that the uh, influenza vaccination of the elderly actually when you study an elderly group that was vaccinated versus one that was not, the one that was not lives longer on average for comparable populations. So there are papers like that. They're going to be very unpopular. You're going to have a hard time publishing them, and then they might be retracted after they're published. That's the state of, of, of uh, the scientific establishment right now. Denis, uh, I'm always looking for silver linings. What is there one? <laughs> well, here we are talking about it. Um, you know, uh, it's YouTube will not accept anything that is critical of vaccines, even if it's a, a, a published scientific paper that you're just reviewing. That's insane, right? That's absolute extreme censorship on YouTube. But here we are talking about it and having this conversation. And there are more and more venues, including Twitter, that have opened up, okay? Um, I think that the establishment recognizes that people, there's a lot of people who were injured, who are gonna talk about it, who are angry, and they need to be able to express it. And they need to be able to uh, come to terms with it. And that involves communication. So we're allowed some communication. We're allowed some freedom. We're allowed some some outlets, and that's good because um, it allows us to exchange information and to get a better, more realistic picture of what's happening in the world. And that can only lead to 
better ways of doing our part to change it to some degree. So I think, I think it's, I think it's good in that sense, but you know, I'm not, I don't think this is going to be fixed overnight. Uh, I don't think it'll ever be fixed in a sense that it, it can be made less work, less bad. You know, it can be, it can be made less bad. We, we can have more democracy if we work at it and fight for it. We can have more freedom of expression if we work at it and fight for it. Um, I think it, 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 it's always possible to improve things, but there's always going to be powerful people trying to mm. uh, exploit us and keep us down and so on. How can I follow your work and read more of your, your research? Yes. Please go to the, um, to the uh, nonprofit organization which has been publishing most of this work recently. It's called Correlation correlation-canada.ca that's the website and the research section there has our 12 or so most recent papers including this one and there's also my website uh denis rancourt like like dennis with one n rancourt.ca um and that has a huge section on research and covid and all these things so that's how people can reach me and find out what i've been doing and you know these these are uh, very well um, researched papers. They're significant. They're large, and they're well done. And I have to say, and I didn't say it up till now, and bad on me, but we've got several co-authors here. We're all we all have PhDs. Um, I was working with Marine Baudin, Joseph Hickey, and Jeremy Mercier, and um, so we had a lot of. We shared the work and we argued a lot about every single word and graph and everything. And this is the end result. So we have a very good product here that people can sit down with and try to see what it, what does it mean and why should I believe this? Denis Ranku, thank you for joining me in the trenches. It's my pleasure. If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit supportgerm.com.